Today we want to give a very special welcome to our viewers right across North America. We want to thank especially the congregation, the Community Adventist Fellowship for standing with us at this time. We've just returned from our sixth major campaign in the ex-Soviet Union. This has been my 13th visit, but this is our sixth major campaign. I'm pleased to announce to the people who are watching, those in the congregation, that it was, it was our great joy during this sixth major evangelistic campaign to baptize the 10,500th soul into Christ. 10,500, we say, glory be to God. Or as they say in Russia, slava Bogu. Praise God. If I ever write a book on these experiences, I'm going to have some chapters that have these headings. The judge, the soldiers, the policeman, the general, the governor, the philosopher, the babushkas, the bishop, the elect, and the great multitude. I'm going to talk a little about each of these 10 representatives of the Russian people today. But before I tell you these wonderful stories, I want you to take your Bible and turn with me to the book of Romans. Dear friends, gentle people, Romans chapter 1 and verses 1 and onwards, where the prince of preachers, the greatest of the apostles, an itinerant evangelist sets forth his faith. Romans chapter 1, verse 1 and onwards, and I want you please to notice these words in the Bible. Jesus said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. I want you to see it in the word of God. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. You notice, my friend, he was called to be an apostle. That is one who was set, sent forth to preach the gospel. That is the highest calling in the world. As far as I know, Paul held no church office. As far as I know, Paul sat on no committees. He had a higher calling. He was called to be an apostle. And for those who seek power in the church, if you want true power, you find it in the preaching of the gospel. That is not man's power, that is God's power. Called to be an apostle. Set apart for the gospel of God. The gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets in the holy scriptures regarding his son who as to his human nature was a descendant of David and who through the spirit of holiness was declared with power to be the son of God by his resurrection from the dead. The gospel that we are talking about today is not a theory. It is not an academic discourse. It is the story of the power of God as seen in the life of Jesus Christ when God raised him from the dead. We're talking here about supernatural power. If you want power, my friend, this is where the power is. It's in the gospel. 
And Paul says then, verses 14 to 16, these words that are some of my favorite words, and yours too, I'm sure. He says, I am obligated both to Greeks and non-Greeks, both to the wise and the foolish. Now, the King James Version says, I am a debtor. This translation, which is a good translation, the New International Version says, I am obligated to all men. Have you ever thought what this really means, I am obligated? Why was Paul obligated to go and preach to them the gospel of God's Son? Why the obligation to preach? May I make this suggestion to you in the form of a parable? I want you to think that you are a doctor and the world is filled with people who are dying of cancer. And by the grace of God, you've discovered a cure for that cancer. What does that place upon you? An obligation to share the news. As Marshall Kelly, the great black singer, sings, do you know the world is dying for the story of his love? It is my belief from a study of Scripture that people are lost without Christ. It is my deepest conviction that people cannot be saved through faith in Buddha or any ism, but there is no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. I believe it is impossible to be saved unless a person is born again and that happens when a person comes in faith to Christ. That's why I believe that preaching is so important. That is why I believe that the most important thing the church can do is to evangelize, and everything else is of secondary importance. And so this man says, I'm a debtor. I'm obligated because he had come to Christ himself and he knew the way home to the kingdom of God and therefore he said, I am obligated to preach this good news. I am obligated both to Greeks and non-Greeks, both to the wise and to the foolish. That is why I am so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are at Rome. The King James Version says, I am ready. Because he knew that people are lost outside of Christ and are in a state of hopelessness. He talks about being without God and without hope in the world. He says, I'm ready to bring you the good news that can save you. Therefore, I say to the church of the living God, I say to the people in North America, we must be ready to go when God calls us to go wherever he calls us to go. I want to say we must be ready to go as God opens the doors because it is the preaching of the gospel that saves men and women. Verse 16, he says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. I guess Paul was ashamed of a number of things. He was ashamed of his persecution of the church of God. But he was not ashamed of the gospel because he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. First for the Jew, then for the Gentile. But the Bible says a person must believe before he can be saved. We are not born 
my beloved friends, in a state of salvation. The world is not in a state of salvation. The world is in a state of damnation and lost without God. And he says, I'm not ashamed of this gospel because it is the power of God unto salvation to every person who believes. And I can testify today that I know that the gospel is indeed the power of God because it saves lost men and women. Listen to this. The preaching of the gospel is God's ordained means of saving the lost. Paul says, how shall they believe unless they hear? How shall they hear unless someone tells them? And how shall they be told unless someone is sent and preaches to them? That's in Romans chapter 10. Therefore, I want to say today that anything less than the preaching of the gospel is hardly worth our time and our consideration. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Let me tell you these little stories, big stories, but little bits. The judge I'm always moved by the providence of God. After we had been talking to the people for two or three nights, a beautiful Russian woman stayed behind, and she said, may I talk to you? I said, yes, of course. I said, what is your profession? I could see she was a cultured woman. She said, I'm a judge. A judge here in Nizhny Novgorod? No. Then she mentioned another city a thousand miles away. I said, why are you here? She said, the head judge of Russia appointed me here to come to Nizhny Novgorod. She said, I arrived two days before your meeting started. I said, what brought you to the meeting? She said, somebody gave me a handbill. I said, why did you come? She said, I have been looking for God all my life. She said, I went to the Orthodox Church. And she said, I found there emptiness, nothing at all. But they gave me a Russian Bible. She said, I have been reading that Russian Bible, but how can I understand it unless someone tells me? And she said, what can I do? She said, I am looking for God all my life. I have been looking for him. And I said, he's been looking for you. And he's found you. And I said, I want you to come to the meetings and it is a custom of the Russians because of the custom of the power of the priests in the Orthodox Church. She grabbed hold of my hands and kissed my hands and said, thank you, thank you. She came to all of the meetings. It was our privilege just two weeks ago to baptize her into Christ. That is the judge. Why did she come there? Two days, searching all her life. Two days. Before the meeting started, she got there because God sent her there. The judge, the soldiers, Igor, Yuri, and Victor, whom I had the privilege of baptizing four years ago, my bodyguards. 
They told us, gave a testimony in one of the meetings because I said, I want to bring these young men out and I want them to tell you that it works. They came out and they told me things that I had never known before. When they came to the meetings in 1992, those boys walked 20 miles a day to get to the meetings. Was it 20 or was it 30? <laughs> 20 or 30 miles a day to get to the meetings. Then they had to travel on a train, had to travel on a bus. One of those young men, Igor, was involved in criminal activity. They were all involved in alcohol. They were atheists. They came to the meetings. I said, what was your response? They said, we never heard anything like it. They said, we saw the power of God. We'd never seen anything like this in our lives. Our hearts had been unconsciously seeking for this. And I said, what happened after the meetings? They said, we came to every night, every night for six weeks, walking 20 miles a day. Try working that out. Then traveling by train and by bus. When they went back, they went back to their own little town, which is about 10 miles or something from the city of Dzinsk, which is 30 or 40 miles from Nizhny Novgorod. There they hired an auditorium and started to preach the everlasting gospel. And the Orthodox Church preached a priest, he came along and uh, got persecution against these young men and had them thrown out of the hall and therefore they held meetings under a tree. And in spite of the persecution of the state church, they raised up a church, a new congregation of 40 believers. In that town today, 40 believers, my soldiers. God bless them. I'm, I'm proud of those boys, proud of them. The policeman. Now, because the persecution was more intense this year than we've ever had before from the Orthodox Church, and because threats had been made, we had lots of policemen in the audience, uh, in their uniforms, standing around the back of the hall and standing around me. And one night, this happened every night, the Orthodox Church tried to stop people coming into the meetings. They formed big lines of gangs of ruffians outside the lowest elements of society. They organized them outside the meetings to stop the people coming through the lines, led by priests. And they were passing out papers saying, don't go to these meetings, these people are the Antichrist. How dare these people come to our land? We own the souls of the Russian people. You are ours. And John Carter is working for, wait for it, the CIA. But that was not a strange remark they made. Because I'm a minister. And during the days of communism, they worked for the KGB. All of their priests, all of their bishops, placed there by the KGB. And they could not believe that I could be there preaching because of, of my love for God and my love for the people. They said, he's working for the CIA. He represents the American government. They're paying him. They were passing out these papers to the people. This was published on the front page of the newspapers. I was on the front page of the newspapers. And one of the policemen, who is an unbeliever, went out and confronted the priests and said, Why are you passing? He said, I have been listening to John Carter. He listened night after night with great interest. He said, why are, you, why are you attacking John Carter? They said, because he's working for this and he's stopping this and he's, he's preaching these things and these people belong to us. 
And the policeman said, what are you doing with all those papers? Passing out all these papers. That must have cost you a lot of money. Yes, it did, a lot of money. The unbelieving policeman said, I'd like to give a recommendation to you. Get rid of those papers. Instead of printing papers, go and hire a whore like John Carter and preach the gospel to the Russian people. That's what you're supposed to be doing. That's the story of the policeman, the unbelieving policeman. The Bible says even the very rocks will praise God, my friend. Jesus said even the very stones will cry out. The general, God has blessed us with some marvelous friends in Russia. There is no organization in the history of the world worse than the KGB. Last night I watched a program on the KGB. You've got to see it, Norm. I found it difficult to sleep after watching it. They're now called the FSS. In Nizhny Novgorod, they have a large college to train their officers. This year, the second time, the general in charge of the KGB, General Vladimir, sent me an invitation. Come and preach to us. In 1992, when we said, why do you want us to come? He said, come preach to us. Even we in the KGB have souls. It is my privilege to go with some of my colleagues and B.J. Christensen and Alexander. We were picked up by two motor cars, the KGB or the FSS as they're called now. That's the only thing that's changed, the initials. They sent around two motor cars with big hulking Russian KGB men, picked us up. As B.J. got in the car with me, I said, what do you think of this? He said, it's a miracle. It's a miracle. I had the privilege of eating with the general and his staff. They tried to get me to drink vodka. They said, Pastor Carter, you will preach much stronger if you drink some vodka. <laughs> I said, no, 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 I don't drink vodka. They, tried to, they filled up my glass with vodka. And I said, try B.J. Christensen, see how he goes. Um, and so... <laughs> filled up and I wouldn't take this and so then they served us a meal which they knew we were vegetarians and they served us quite a good meal and then they brought out big bottles of beer they said now we know you don't drink vodka but let's have some beer <laughs> so we said well we don't do this they thought this was strange because the orthodox bishop had been there two days before he drunk as much vodka as he could get down into his stomach so they found it hard to understand why a person who's a preacher, wouldn't drink vodka. Then I had the privilege with Elder Matiko and the maestro Paul Mickelson and some others of going into this large auditorium, preaching the word to 700 officers and trainees who were all atheists, basically. When I spoke about God and the Bible, they knew nothing at all. But I preached the everlasting gospel. I wondered to myself as I got up, what am I going to say to them? So I told them the story of Christ. And I told them how in our hearts we're empty without Christ. And I said, you're empty today too. That's why so many people turn to alcohol in this country because they're empty. But there's something better to fill your stomach. Something better to fill your soul. And then we had prayer with them. They all stood respectfully for prayer. Then we passed out Bibles. That was moving we passed out a thousand Bibles. 
And then we got those officers of the KGB to stand and read for the first time John 3.16 out of the Bible. And then they came up and surrounded us. And you were there, Norm. I was in danger of being crushed to death. They got around wanting a message. I was signing their Bibles, wanting me to write in a message. We were in the very citadel of the Antichrist preaching the gospel and giving Bibles and talking to people about Christ. I say, Slava Boko. Praise God. How great is our God. BJ was right. This is a miracle. The governor. The governor. God has blessed us with people whom we've gotten to know. Four years ago, I baptized, as you know, the governor's sister, Julia Ukana, PhD in linguistics from Leningrad University. The Bible says in the days of Paul, the gospel even got into Caesar's household. This gospel, my friend, is getting everywhere. Boris Nemtsov is described as the rising star of Russia. You don't hear about him much now because he's taking a low profile, but he's, a great, he's become a great defender of freedom and religious liberty, and we've helped him to see this. We've helped him to see this. It was my privilege with several of my team members to meet him after a tennis match. He asked us to come around. He was going to come and visit us in the hotel, but he sent us a message that the Orthodox Church has got spies everywhere watching him after him all the time and he said would you come and meet me at a secret location we went and met him in secret and I gave him Winston Churchill's books the history of the English speaking people which is the story of freedom and democracy and in the front of those books I inscribed these words to a great and distinguished lover and defender of freedom Boris Nemtsov and then I spoke about religious freedom. I said to him, Governor, I may disagree with every word you are saying, but I will defend to my last drop of blood your right to say it. This is what freedom is. Freedom is not to preach the truth as you think it is the truth or as I think it is the truth. It is to preach what we are convicted and even though I may disagree with you a million percent I will defend your right to say it he said to me I want to thank you for coming to see me and I believe in what you've said with all my heart this man standing up high in the leadership of Russia is our defender and our friend an advocate of freedom and is holding the door open for the preaching of the gospel. We say, glory be to God. The philosopher. Every morning we had worship in the Hotel Russia. All our team would get together at 9 o'clock. And during the last week, I saw a man come in who to me had the very face of Russia. Young man, black beard, black hair, black clothes, little cross around his neck. 
And I thought he must be a bishop or somebody from the church to spy on us. And he sat there opposite us morning after morning. And then one day he came to me and said in broken English, Pastor Carter, can I talk to you? And I got a translator, Igor, and I said, who are you? He said, I'm a professor of philosophy. I teach PhDs in the universities, and I'm trying to teach them that there is a God, but I know so little myself. And I said, have you been to our meetings? He said, I've been to none of your meetings, but I watch your church service on television, on vulgar television, every Saturday afternoon at 5.30. And he said, I believe I have found what I'm looking for. He looks at this church on television. I talked to him. Do you know what impact this church is making? Do you understand why we are going to keep our television program alive? This is touching the world. He wouldn't come to meetings because of his position. I told him what we believed. He asked me penetrating questions. I answered his questions. I invited him to come to the meeting that night. He came to the meeting that night. I preached on the millennium, made an altar call. Down the front he came. The next night I made another appeal for baptism. Down the front he came. The philosopher watching this program on television. The babushkas. That's a Russian word for grandmothers. I've seen the babushkas whom we baptized out in the cold and the snow with shovels. I've seen them go into water to be baptized and the water was almost freezing with their hands held high like this in a gesture of prayer, saying, Slava Bogu. No husbands are with them. They died in the days of Stalin. I salute them. We're going to tell you in the interviews about some of the problems. I met with one of our big supporters here on Thursday. I opened my heart to him as I've opened it to no man because most people don't like to hear the challenges. They want to think it's all glory. It's not all glory. It's hard work. It's bitterness and tears. We formed a church there two years ago at the Volga Auto Plant, a church of 1,200 members. I think Jim and Joyce were there. We started them in a church hall, Jim and Joyce. The Orthodox Church had them thrown out during that coming winter seven times in six months. Seven times in six months. And we have had people who have stopped going to church because they can't. I said this to one of our supporters. He said to me, but if they were sincere, they would keep going. I said... Would you go to church traveling two hours to get to church in the snow if you were a babushka or an old person, an old man, and then sit in a church building not owned by us that st 
stinks of the latrine because nobody cares about it, nobody cleans it, and you go on the toilet and it's filth up the walls. I went into some of those toilets and gagged. I can't stand filth. And those churches in winter are minus 5, 10 degrees. And people have been sitting in those churches, those halls, for four years, and we haven't to this date given them a church. By God's grace, we're going to arise and wipe away the shame from Christ. One old lady said to me, she was standing there with a shovel. She said, Pastor Carter, you baptized me four years ago in the Volga River. She gave the date. She said, that was my birthday. I said, how old are you? She said, I'm 80. She said, when I became an Adventist Christian, they said, what have you joined? They don't even have a building for you. They baptize you, then they leave you in the snow. She said, I have Christ. And she stood there with a shovel and she said, by God's grace, I'm going to live until this temple is built. The bishop, the bishop in Nizhny Novgorod has unleashed a flood of persecution against our believers. The Orthodox Church has no idea about freedom or religious liberty or kindness or love or truth. All our advertising, public advertising, was torn down. They attacked us in the press and on television by threatening the people. If they didn't attack us, they would have them lose their jobs. We had our first baptism in a swimming pool, only could get it for a couple of hours. Baptized as quickly as we could, we were thrown out straight after that by the orders of the Orthodox Church. They had gangs led by priests who molested our people. But in spite of persecution, we have baptized, glory be to God, outside, under terrible conditions, 512 people. The elect, those who are called, chosen, and faithful. Two weeks ago today, it was four degrees. I've never known such cold as when I preached this year. It turned bitterly cold. When I was preaching, I was getting pains in my kidneys. My translator, Igor Prospekin, was, he's a Russian. He could hardly speak one night. His mouth was freezing. My hands were going blue. I couldn't feel my feet. But on the last Sabbath, two weeks ago, I said to the people, we're going to have a baptism here. We had these tiny little it's a bitsy contraptions. We could baptize one person at a time in, in about a foot of water. I said it. Are there some folks here, I understand by conviction, want to be baptized outdoors? Yes. So we filled up a bus, went to a mountain stream, to a lake. The temperature, I think, was either 2 or 3 degrees. And 32 people were baptized in that lake by six of our Russian pastors. I said, I am standing in the presence of God, the elect, the multitude. This is the multitude. A few Sundays ago, Igor, my translator, and I stood at the window of my room in Nizhny Novgorod. I felt a little low on my spirits because I thought, nobody seems to care anymore about these people. 
All the ministries have gone home. They've got their pictures. And now these cities are forsaken by the Americans and the people from the West. I said to Igor, looking out my window over a vast dreary plain that finishes at the North Pole, I said, how many cities are here unwarned yet, Igor? He told me of vast cities across Russia where we haven't had a preacher. Cities of more than a million. And God put into my mind as I stood there on that cold day the dream of the Trans-Siberian Hope Express. The Trans-Siberian Railway is the greatest, the longest in the world. If you don't get off the train, if it continues just to thunder on at 60, 70 miles an hour, it takes eight days from Moscow to Vladivostok. God helping us this January in the midst of their bitter winter, we are hiring a full carriage on the Trans-Siberian Express. We're going to fill it with food and medicines and vitamins and Bibles and we're going to stop at 15 great cities all the way across Siberia. And as the train comes into the station, Boris Belko, who is coming with us with his dear wife, is going to stand. There is a physical problem. I'll tell you that in a moment. He's going to stand at the doorway and play, lift up the trumpet. And our church people who've been told beforehand that we're coming are going to rally and come. They're going to be there waiting for us. Then I'm going to preach to them. It can be 40, 60 below. Playing a trumpet can be dangerous. It may stick to his face. But we'll take a doctor and have it cut off. And then we're going to give to our believers Bibles and medicines. It has never been done before. By God's grace, we are going to light a candle in the darkness of Russia from Moscow to Vladivostok. I say to our supporters, stand with us. As the train rolls out of Moscow, the Trans-Siberian Hope Express, come with us in spirit. Light a candle in the darkness. We've just come back. We've seen the glory of God. We've seen the power of God to salvation. We say, Slava Bogu, glory be to God. Beverly, who has a tremendously important part in this ministry, has a ministry that reaches children, cancer patients. Come and talk about it. Come talk about it. Then I'm going to interview some people. The Bible says in James 1.27, Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and undefiled is this, to look after orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. This command of God is relevant in any country of the world 
and Russia is no exception. Since our first trip there in 1991, we have visited hospitals, schools and orphanages every year. In my first visit in 91, I felt overwhelmed by the lack of medical supplies, equipment and even furniture. The hospitals at that time were almost bereft of everything except people who needed help. While much was missing in the way of supplies, compassion and caregiving were not. The doctors and nurses that I met were wonderful people doing all that they could to alleviate the pain and sickness of their patients, albeit under very grim circumstances. Since 91, things have been slowly getting better, but there is still a tremendous need. We were thrilled a few months ago when the Carter Report was privileged to take part in the delivery of nine tons of medical supplies by a US government plane to the Ukraine. Many children suffering from cancer and heart disease as a result of the Chernobyl disaster will benefit from this humanitarian airlift. A big thank you to Dudley and Ginger Snar, the Northwest Medical Teams and the American government. This year we visited several orphanages and we were able to buy warm winter boots for many of the children. We also gave them numerous sets of woolen cap caps and gloves. As usual, Ruby O'Dell and her friends from Loma Linda, and thank you Ruby, gave us hundreds of stuffed animals to give out. And I will never forget hearing the children say, Spasiba, Spasiba. That is, thank you, thank you. There is no greater reward when on picking up a small child, they place their arms around your neck and say, thank you. I love you for coming. Besides having the privilege of spreading some joy and cheer, we also have the privilege of making friends with many wonderful professionals. A couple of weeks ago, our team visited a cancer hospital in Nizhny with a group of our church ladies who have made it their ministry to visit the sick and the lonely. The leader, Lud Miller, was baptized in 1992 in our crusade there. And it was thrilling to discover that many of the ministry leaders were the fruitage of that crusade. Lud Miller is the wife of a former KGB colonel and is the lady whose son was murdered after he too was baptized in 1992. Lud Miller is an inspiration to everyone she meets and together with her team works tirelessly to bring comfort, love and the truth about God. She had arranged for the patients and some staff members to meet in a large hospital room where John was given the opportunity to speak to them about God and his plan for their redemption and ultimate restoration. At the close of the meeting, we gave out Bibles to everyone present and in response, the head doctor said to us, we can only try to help them physically, but they cannot get well unless they have hope. And today, you brought us hope. Ludmilla told me of a beautiful young woman, an atheist. She had met in this same hospital a year earlier. Her cancer was inoperable. Her lovely hair had fallen out as a result of treatment, and the doctors had given no hope. 
So Ludmilla, with her persuasive love, plus some of the card report cassettes, led this young woman to an understanding and acceptance of Jesus. Just before she slipped away, she asked Ludmilla to make sure that they put John 3.16 on her headstone, the same verse that Ludmilla had placed on her son's grave. Oh, dear friends, thank God for John 3.16. Where would we all be without that text? Thank you, dear church members here in Glendale. Thank you, dear friends watching on 3ABN for making it possible for us to take John 3.16 to the great land of Russia. God bless you. I'm just so glad to be associated with my friend, Pastor Norman Matiko. And uh, let me tell you folks something. You know what they call him in Russia? The sweet singer of Russia. Not the sweet singer of Israel. Uh, Pastor Matiko, you were the manager. You went down to the hall with uh, Paul Mickelson early. What were your impressions? Well, Pastor John, every day when we would go two or three hours before the meeting, invariably there would be 100, 150 people there, and they were already there prior to our coming. And we would ask them, why are you here? Well, they said, we want to make sure that we have a good spot to sit and hear the message from night to night. And this wasn't just once. Every night we would see that, and we were very impressed with the sincerity of these people. We've baptized thousands of people in that city in previous crusades. I think you had the opportunity of, of meeting some of those folks. They came back to the meetings. How did they react to these meetings, and how did you find them? Well, we found that these people are very sincere people. Uh, these people, of course, came to the meeting. Many of them, for example, were... Uh, professors of English at the university, and they were at the meetings. And glory to be God, many of them took their stand. And I think in particular of two young ladies in their early 30s who were baptized when we were there in 1994 at the Office of Wood plant. And here today they are born-again Christians, happy, radiating the love of Jesus Christ. And their only plea to us, Pastor John, was please help us to have our own sanctuary so we are not tossed from one building to the next. God bless you, Norm. Thank you for your magnificent contribution. Now, my dear friend, Ron Barclay. Ron is a, a marvelous member of this church. Love him, appreciate him, respect him. He came over for the first few days. Now, Ron, just tell me from your heart, how did you find things? I've shared some things with our church. The blessing that I received there will go with me into eternity. There were two things that stood out in my mind. With a couple of my new friends, I went out on the street and observed some of the people. My heart went out to them. The looks on their faces were basically of, of hopelessness, stoic. I compared that with the faces on our believers the Sabbath that I visited our church. Their faces were essentially lighted with Jesus. They were praising Him. They were singing to Him. The only time they got a more or less stoic face on them was when they were studying the Word of God, learning more about Jesus and their salvation. But there is one other 
um, experience that I had that really touched my heart, and it involved you. While I was working on the stage and preparing for the meetings, I had a little girl come up. I have shared this with the church, but I haven't you, and you should know. This little girl came up and just tapped me on the, on the arm. She said something that I didn't understand. I don't speak Russian, but I did catch one word. It was Carter. And fortunately, I had a, a lady, I believe it was one of the wives' pastors not too far away, came over and translated for me. And she told me, uh, the little girl asked you if you were with John Carter. And I shook my head. And then the lady said, the little girl told you that she loves John Carter because he brought her Jesus. Bless you, Ron, too. And that's our ministry to bring people to Jesus. God bless you. I have never, excuse me, I get a little. Sure, we all do. <laughs> this, little, this little girl is something. Yeah. Evangelism is God's method of getting this message to the people. And we must support it. Bless you, Ron. Bless you. Bless you. A person who made a magnificent contribution was our friend Paul Mickelson. And Paul's going to tell you from the viewpoint, I think he's going to tell us this, from the viewpoint of a musician. Paul, what was your impression? Thank you, John. This is my fourth time back to this part of the world with you, the ex-Soviet Union. And as I re remember your mentioning about the kind of music that we use is happy music. Uh, if you knew the mu kind of music that you hear in the Russian Ortho Orthodox Church, it's the minor mode. It's very mournful and uh, it is not happy music. But I'm so glad that we were able to present this kind of music. And you know, John, many years ago as a teenager, uh, God called me to the ministry. Uh, I went through Bible college, was ordained, but I felt the call of God was to preach through music. And what a thrill it was once again to see the uh, musicians. In fact, we had an opportunity, as you recall, to see some of the young people, a cellist, uh, wonderful keyboard people that we were able to use, that 32-voice choir. And uh, it was great to work together with these people. I think the one remaining thing in my mind, though, that will last forever, as I mentioned after going in 1993 with you the first time, that it was a life-changing experience. And I can still say that today. As I would sit there playing Just As I Am and many of the uh, songs that we know as invitation songs, I Surrender All. And during the time of invitation of, uh, as you as we used to call it, pulled the net as you brought the people in to the, the fold. And then after that, after your teaching about uh, following the Lord in the waters of baptism to see night after night and work right with you, I had a kind of a wonderful vantage point like you did to look in the faces of those people and see the expression. See, uh, many have been told, most of them, that there is no God. But uh, we know different, and when they heard John 3.16 and recited that, what a thrill it was. And to see their tears, and their tears mingled with ours, as we knew that these are new people that we will see someday in heaven. Amen. God bless. God bless you, Paul. Thank you, Paul. So, let me tell you where we go from here. We are not going to do less, we're going to do more. I received delegations from Moscow, St. Petersburg, 
One man traveled from Kiev four days in the train to spend half, half an hour talking to us. Their message is, you are the person and the team that we're looking to. This puts a huge responsibility upon us. I have a letter here that Igor Perspekin has written to the church in North America. I'm going to read you just a little section out of it, friend. Just a little section. Don't want you to be upset by what he says. He's a Russian pastor. If only you would listen. You would hear the cry of many distinguished places in Russia that are almost untouched by our evangelists. In the area of the great Volga River, there are large cities where the three angels' message has hardly been preached, such as Samara, Ufa, Kazan, Volgograd, Saratov, Astrakhan, each with one million residents or more. People are dying forever in their sins for the want of spiritual bread because our church has no money for evangelism. There are also big cities in the Urals, such as Perm, Katherineburg, Chelas, Berlin, Skarenburg, Kurgan, each with a population of one million. Then I could, mention, I could mention Omsk, Tumen, Novosibirsk, Tomsk, Komodorov, Banul, Novoskoretsky. None of these places exist, in my pronunciation at, at least, but they are real cities. Irkutsk, Chita, Krasnoyak, and some of them just too hard for me to say. Vladivostok, unentered by Seventh-day Adventist evangelist and uncovered by the blood of Christ. I could write of many more. The Carter Report could do much more for the cultured people of the ex-Soviet Union if you would only help. Now, when you go to bed tonight, go to bed with these words in your mind. I didn't prompt him to write these words. He wrote these words in this letter and gave them to me. Just think about this. May these words go with you tonight. Please do not leave us alone. Do not let the lost die. Help us to find them with the gospel light. We keep praying for you. May God give you a greater vision. Igor Leo Perspekin, Russian pastor and translator. My word to the church today is this. Please do not leave them alone. Do not let the lost die.